Yes, so it is. Um, my name is Michaela. I'll be bringing you the Bible reading. If you have your Bibles with you, we're reading Genesis uh, 37, verses 1 to 28. Um, funnily enough, this makes me more nervous than leading worship. So <laughs> this a long one. Uh, let's, let's read together. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons, because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brother said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream and this time the sun and moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father this, uh, when he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, "What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come down, come and bow down to the ground before you?" His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Now his brothers had gone to graze their father's flocks near Shechem, and Israel said to Joseph, "As you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. Come, I am going to send you to them." Very well, he replied. So he said to him, go and see if all is well with your brothers and with the flocks and bring word back to me. Then he sent him off from the valley of Hebron. When Joseph arrived at Shechem, a man found him wandering around in the fields and asked him, what are you looking for? He replied, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they are grazing their flocks? They've moved on from here, the man answered. I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. But they saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into the cistern here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. The cistern was empty. There was no water in it. As they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. <laughs> um, so when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thanks so much, Michaela. I'm a little bit concerned about the snicker when the brothers decided to sell him. Um, be careful, those around Michaela. 
Well, good evening and welcome to church. My name's Charlie. I'm one of the pastors here at SDBC and uh, we're commencing a series um, on Joseph. And uh, so this is the first of the series. And um, again, I find myself asking and hoping that tonight you've come to worship God. You've come to interact with him, to recommit to him or to respond to him. And... uh, coming to grow in love and unity and fellowship with everyone around us regardless of their race or age or anything else. And uh, I hope SDBC becomes a church that smashes the norms and is known as a welcoming and loving church for everyone that comes in. And so because of the story we've read, I had to throw those warm and fuzzies in, sorry. But uh, we'll get back to facing reality now. I doubt there's a person here who has not been hurt by someone else. I I think we could all think of a time when we have been hurt by something that someone said, uh, a hurtful, spiteful comment, a vicious rumour that was spread about us that was not true. And these types of things happen. There are others who may have suffered verbal, physical or sexual abuse at the hands of someone they know or even at the hands of a stranger. And they're suffered through that as well. And if you're a parent, you may have done what you thought was right in raising your kids and bringing them to a certain point and they've now chosen to rebel against you and go their own way. And there are many of us who've also experienced um, just that terrible feeling or suffering as a result of crime and injustice. In each of these cases, we so often find ourselves questioning God. If he is sovereign, if he is loving, if he genuinely cared for me, how could he allow this terrible thing to happen? What was he doing when this was going on? Why does it seem evil is winning if Jesus is king? But I hope that as we look through this passage, we'll come to understand that even in the deepest, darkest moments, he is with us and he is constantly manipulating things for our glory, for our benefit, sorry, and so that his name is glorified. But tonight, I really want to show you God's presence when life sucks. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for this incredible account that we've had before us, this true account of the life of Joseph. And Lord, if there's anyone who had a right to stand up and say, what the heck's going on? I think it would be Joseph. But Lord, tonight, I pray our eyes and ears will be open to you. I pray that we'll listen to what you have to say to us through power of Holy Spirit and that that will change us, Lord, and draw us closer to you. Help us to focus upon you, Father. And use this word for your glory tonight, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. When I was a young Christian and I read scripture, I had these guys that I elevated to almost superstar status. You know, I I loved King David and, and I loved Abraham and I loved the types of lives that they lived. And we fall into that trap of thinking that these accounts are in Scripture to give us an idea of how we should be living our lives and be just like these characters that are actually found in the Bible. But what we need to do is turn that around and realize that all these accounts are in Scripture, not so 
so that we can emulate those guys, but so that we can see God's grace. It's all about him. It's not about these guys. And if you make any of these guys your heroes, you'll see that they end up being total failures. And I think that's an encouragement for me because I'm a failure as well and I find it very difficult to live the life that I'm called to do. And what we've had read to us this evening, read very well, mind you, except for that little chuckle, um, it was quite good. But what we've had read to us this evening is the beginning of the account of Joseph. And, and there is an incredible omission in what we've read this evening. And I'm not sure if you noticed, but there's no mention of God in what we read tonight. Did anyone notice that? He's just not present in this passage of Scripture. He isn't mentioned in this account. And it's like we sometimes imagine ourselves or what other people so frequently say, he isn't present in those dark moments. He simply doesn't care. If he did, he'd stop that evil. And again, I'm hoping that by the end of this, you'll see that nothing is further from the truth. And even in our most difficult times, he's present. And he doesn't necessarily save us from those difficulties. He doesn't necessarily draw us out of those things. But he is present, he is strengthening, he is growing, he is guiding. And he uses what is intended for evil. He's using what is intended to break us down for his purposes and ultimately for our good. He, he's overriding sovereign providence, overrules consumes and destroys evil presence. And his overall purposes are worked out. But we have to address the depths of sin. And it's amazing when you read this account just how deep it goes. If you're a true believer and follower of the Lord Jesus Christ you'll be able to testify to the extent of how God's grace broke into your life. And some people would say it was even against their will. You know, there's people who set out to disprove Christianity, to disprove Jesus Christ, and then the evidence weighed up so much against them, they had no choice but to give their life to Jesus. They were reluctant participants in it, but God's grace broke through. They had no choice. He rescued them from their life of sin and brokenness. He rescued me from my life of sin and brokenness. And he gave me a new life. He gave me a new family. He gave me a new hope and a new future. A future where I will be in his presence in glory come that day. And man, am I looking forward to that. And when we look at the family that we've read about this evening, I don't think it could be any more dysfunctional, could it? It's clear that Jacob has made a few mistakes as a father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he was the son of his old age and he made him a robe of many colours. Who's the favourite son or the favourite daughter in a household? Oh wow, there's some brave people here. I wouldn't put my hand up. <laughs> Man, they're spoiled rotten. They're terrible, aren't they? But Joseph was loved by Jacob because Jacob loved Rachel more than Leah. And Joseph was the eldest son to Rachel. And then when Benjamin was born to Rachel as well, Rachel died during childbirth. And it's believed, here's Joseph in this account, he's 17 years old, as we're told in verse 2. And many people say that Rachel became the centre of 
Jacob's emotional attachment. And when she died, the only connection he had to Rachel was Joseph. And so Joseph became, again, that emotional centre for Jacob. And so Jacob doted on him. And I'm sure that while Rachel was alive, she doted on him as well. And he made him this coat. It says a coat of many colours, and um, Michaela's translation was a little bit different there. And the the literal translation uh, could mean that it was a coat of many colours, or it could also mean that it was adorned with a number of things. It could have been jewels. It was a very special coat. But the thing about this coat was it was long-sleeved, and it also went down uh, to the feet. Someone who wore a coat like this did no physical labour. Jacob made this coat for Joseph. He didn't have to work in the fields with his brothers. Not when he was wearing that coat. And so he wore that coat and he wore it a lot. And it gave him a status. It gave him a stand above the others. It made him someone they were not. And so Joseph wore it everywhere. And when his brothers saw him and saw that Jacob loved him more than them, they hated him and they couldn't speak peacefully to him. What's the greeting of Jews to one another? Shalom. Never did it. Never said that to Joseph. They didn't want peace to be upon him. They wanted him to die. Some may say Joseph should have let sleeping dogs lie or perhaps he should refrain from poking the sleeping bear with a stick But either Joseph was very, very stupid or he's very naive because he has this dream and something compels him to tell his brothers. And I don't know how Joseph does this. Pastor Darrell this morning said whenever Joseph had that coat on, he had a bit of a swagger. He didn't have a normal walk. He thinks that's why when they saw Joseph walking towards him so far away, they knew it was him because of the swagger. And anyway, so with the swagger came this attitude and language as well. And maybe that's the case. And so he speaks to his brothers about this dream. His brothers say, are you indeed to reign over us? Or are you indeed to rule over us? And they hated him even more. They didn't take that so well, did they? In fact, they hated him more. And it possibly wasn't just the dream, it was that attitude and tone as well as Joseph retold that dream. And then he has another dream. And what's he do? He goes to the brothers again and surprise, surprise, they didn't take that so well either. Who knows why? And then Joseph, Joseph actually goes to his father And he waits for the brothers to come home so he can tell the dream again while they're there to his father. And his father rebukes him and the hatred grows with his brothers. And verse 11 tells us that they were jealous of him. And that jealousy and hatred keeps growing in his brothers. And it's like Jacob keeps feeding the flames. And he was foolishly using Joseph as a spy on his brothers as well. Or at best an overseer reporting to him with all they do. And Joseph used to report back. 
And, and these guys that Joseph reported back about, the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, uh, these were actually Jacob's mistresses. And when Rachel died, it's believed they entered a de facto relationship or got married, whatever it was. And so Joseph um, comes back to his father and he gives a bad report. The thing is with what is mentioned as bad report here, because there's something lost in translation... The, the bad report that Joseph brings back is not necessarily a lie, but it's inaccurate because parts of it have been exaggerated. He's making them look as bad as possible uh, in the report. Do you remember about the spies who went into the land of Canaan back in um, Numbers 13, I think it was? And, and the, the people come back and they brought a bad report about the land. And that bad report was that they exaggerated what was going on there. They said it's a land that devours all those who live in it. And then they said we looked as grasshoppers in the eyes of those who were there. It's, it's a report that's exaggerated to basically make things seem worse than what they really are. And that's what Joseph was doing about these half-brothers of his. And all the brothers, of course, are aware that Joseph does this. And all through this, Jacob and Joseph fail to see that this is adding to an already untenable situation. And Jacob sends Joseph off again. And what's he get him to do? He says, go now, see if it's well with your brothers and with the flock and bring me word. Check up on them. Bring a report back to me. I want to know what they're doing. And so he's using him again as a spy. And it's interesting that they're at Shechem. I'm not sure if you remember the account of what happened at Shechem, but this is the city where Simeon and Levi led a slaughter because their sister Dina had been raped by a man of Shechem. And they annihilated every adult male in Shechem. It was a wicked, wicked thing. And Jacob didn't rebuke or discipline them for overreaching in their revenge. And so Jacob's sons become known as violent men and they return to Shechem. It could have been quite dangerous. But their final act against Joseph is to take him, strip him, beat him, and throw him in a cistern and leave him for dead. And their hearts are so hardened that they do that. Then they sit down and have dinner. I just don't get it. I'm not sure if while they were reading they began to think about what they'd done and if they were perhaps a little bit too harsh on Joseph. I don't know if that's the case. But in the end they sell him. And they sell him for 20 pieces of silver. How many pieces of silver was Christ sold for? 30. See, 30 pieces of silver is what a slave sold for. 20 pieces of silver is what a disabled slave is sold for. And so they sell Joseph 20 pieces of silver. And their final act is a lie to their father. After dipping Joseph's robe 
a robe that they'd stripped to threads so it looked like a wild beast had got it. They dipped it in the blood of a goat that they'd slaughtered and they sent it to their father. They didn't have the guts to front their father themselves. They sent someone else with it and asked him, is this your son's robe? And of course he confirms that it is. And they believe they're safe. They're finally rid of their arrogant, self-righteous brother and his crazy dreams. But the funny thing is, God is always working. And what these guys can't stop, regardless of how hard they try, is the purposes of God. And I don't know about you, but as, as I read accounts like this, there are memories that are stirred up in my mind about the injustices that I've endured, the attacks, the slander, the false reports, and so many things that have happened in my life that have been quite hurtful. And at the time, it seemed like God wasn't doing much. And I prayed and I asked him to intercede. I asked him to change the situation. I asked him to strengthen me. And he almost turned up too late. I know that's a phrase I use a lot, but it's true. And many of the situations I face cause deep emotional stress. And yet, when I came out the other side, I could look back and I could see God's thumbprints all over it. I could see that he had a purpose and a reason for it. And so what is God doing here? He has this vision. They were binding sheaves in the field and behold, my sheaf, Joseph's sheaf, arose and stood upright. Behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. I find it interesting that the brothers don't question this dream. They don't question the motivation for Joseph saying this. They just interpret the dream immediately. Are we really going to bow down to you? Is that really going to happen? They believe in their own mind because they hate Joseph so much there is no way they are ever going to bow down to him. But the same theme is repeated in a second dream. He dreamed a dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I've had another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon and eleven stars were bowing down to me. How many brothers? Eleven. Sun and moon. Mum and dad. You've possibly heard me say before too, when things are repeated in scripture especially two, truly, truly, or two visions, or those types of things. It is a confirmation that God is true and sure that it is going to come to pass. There's no turning back. This is going to happen. And Joseph, this young, arrogant, perhaps naive young man, has had these two dreams. God's confirmation is going to happen. And it triggers something in his father, Jacob. Because after the second dream... We are told that while Joseph's brothers were jealous, his father kept this saying in his mind. Joseph's life is the outworking of God's plan for, for a people for himself. And that was spoken back in Genesis 15, 13 and 14. Then the Lord said to Abraham, Know for certain 
Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there and they will be afflicted for 400 years but I will bring judgment on that nation that they serve and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. And a couple of verses later it actually says and they will return to this land, this land that I will give them. God is laying the foundations for Jacob and his family to move to Egypt so they may be saved. Think about what is about to happen just after the account we've read. This, this famine is going to come right across the land. And if it wasn't for Joseph, tens of thousands of people would have died. And in the midst of all of this, God appears to be absent. But he uses all of what has happened to fulfil his plans and purposes. The good, the bad and the ugly. Joseph is sent to Shechem to check on his brothers but they've moved on to Dothan and Joseph just happens to run into a guy who just happened to overhear the brothers discussing the fact that they were going to go to Dothan and so Joseph goes to Dothan. Dothan is a pretty deserted place at that particular time much later when Elisha's there it's a very populated city but Dothan is unpopulated at the time quite a deserted area so no one is going to see what happens at Dothan and keep in mind too that before Joseph left his father the Ishmaelites just happened to leave at a time that would make them pass through Dothan just as Joseph was there with his brothers. Reuben just happened to be present to speak the brothers out of killing Joseph and throw him in a cistern. And conversely, Reuben just happened to be absent when the Ishmaelites came along to stop him from preventing them selling him to the Ishmaelites so that he would go to Egypt. And I don't know about you, but that just seems to be one too many coincidences for it just to be coincidences. It'd be an amazing record if it was just coincidences. But for me, it confirms that God is at work behind the scenes. We don't hear what God is doing, but it's obvious that he's manipulating these things. Taking what can only be considered a proud, arrogant, cruel and evil situation and arranging it overruling its power and intent so that what was meant for evil is used for ultimate good. And in this case, all this has been done because of God's saving grace. I want you to think about this account tonight. If Joseph had not been killed, but had also not been sold into slavery, then his family would have died in the drought because that was a devastating famine that hit not only would Joseph's family, family have died but tens of thousands of people would also have died and Joseph would not have been in Egypt before the drought to wisely store all the food that he did the food that was in abundance during those years and everything that God arranged was done not just so Joseph and his family would survive, but it was done so ultimately the nation of Israel, hundreds of years later, would be a people who would be called out of Egypt to be God's own. Joseph 
is often portrayed as a type of Christ. And just in this account tonight, we can see there are quite a few similarities. Joseph was sold for 20 pieces of silver. Jesus was betrayed for 30. Joseph was rejected and despised by his brothers, as was Jesus. Joseph was beaten and stripped naked, as was Jesus. Joseph was stripped of his father's love. Jesus felt forsaken by his father so that we could know his love. Looking at these guys personally, Joseph had to go through what he did. He had to be lost in order that he could be saved. He had this incredible coat that he wore as a symbol, as a boast, as a mark of a special status that he had and the privileges that went with it. He was proud, he was arrogant and perhaps he lorded over his brothers a bit. And if he kept on that path, he would have turned into a truly wicked person. But all these evil things that happened to him transformed him. And we'll see that as we study Joseph in the coming weeks. And likewise, Joseph's brothers are transformed. They, they were men who were bloodthirsty, who had incredibly hard hearts. And I'm not sure where along the journey it happens, but they were driven by hate, vengeance and revenge. In many ways, the evil reaches its peak with Joseph in killing their own brother, well, intending to kill their own brother as they did and selling him into slavery. But perhaps it's how Jacob reacted, how he mourned for so long for his lost son, that they realised how evil they were and they changed. We don't know, but they did change. I want you to think about yourselves. It's so hard to learn how evil and sinful we are if someone points it out to us, if someone tells you. You have to see it for yourself. You have to be confronted with it by God. And I believe he does that. Who is it that revealed this to Joseph? Who is it that revealed it to his brothers? And who is it that reveals it to all of humanity? And it is, of course, God. And we have to hold to the fact that regardless of all this evil that happened, regardless of everything that seemed to be against Joseph and that didn't fulfil the promises that God had in the dream, these terrible things that are happening right now in his life, God loved him. Can you say amen to that? Because he did. And it was God's love that allowed this to happen. And he used what was intended for evil to bring about an incredible transformation in Joseph's life. He used those experiences to draw Joseph to himself. And if God did that for Joseph, why wouldn't he do that for us? If you've followed with that today, tonight, are you willing to admit God was in control all along? Never once dropping the ball. 
Could you imagine how life-transforming it would be for us? And even if our deepest, darkest moments when things seem to be going way out of control, could you imagine how transforming it would be for us if we had a confidence and assurance that God was still in control? We need to claim the promises of Scripture. For those who love God, all things work toward work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose some of us are in terrible situations some of us don't know what tomorrow is going to bring and these bible verses they're not talisman or christian cliches or mantras that you should use these are sound biblical truths these are realities for us to stand on and when we do we won't necessarily be removed from the terrible situations that we find ourselves. Things won't necessarily get better overnight if you fast and pray. But if we press into him, he will ultimately use our circumstances just as he did with Joseph. And we'll come out of it and we'll be able to look back and see his handprints all over everything. In the midst of our struggles... We can hold fast to the fact that even when God seems absent, he will never leave us. He will never forsake us. And we can say confidently, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man, what can anyone in fact, or anything do to me when he's on our side? What are your struggles tonight? What are you faced with? Do you know the reality of Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour? If you don't, I want to encourage you to give your life to him. It's quite simple. You just need to make the decision to follow him for the rest of your days. If you're struggling, I want to encourage you to come forward for prayer or to seek a Christian brother or sister who will pray with you and for you. Again, It's not going to be a miracle. You're not going to walk out of here with your problems solved. But when we share our burdens, when we pray for each other, when we encourage each other in the faith, we can share what God's done, those good news stories, and we can look with expectation for those answers. Let's pray. Father God, I want to thank you for this message. I want to thank you for the power of your word. I want to thank you, Lord. We can trust you. We can trust your word. You, when you speak, you always fulfill your word. You never allow it to return void. And Lord, I know that you've been speaking to people this evening, and I pray by Holy Spirit you'll continue to do that work and that lives will be transformed as a result. And Lord, I pray that we'll have the confidence to know when things are tough, you're right there in the midst of that situation. Sometimes it doesn't seem obvious you're there and you're loving and caring for us as you always have so father reveal that to us i pray in jesus name amen thank you for being here this evening may the lord bless you and keep you may his face shine on you may he make his word alive to you and may you live in his peace and comfort this week god bless one and all thank you